What the heck does the sacrament of confirmation actually do? If you were confirmed, did it mark a turning point in your life? If you have not been confirmed, do you even feel like you're missing anything? The Catechism says that the effect of the sacrament of confirmation is the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit as once granted to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Is this true in your life? This episode of Physically Spiritual will explore how to live the Sacrament of Confirmation. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. we get started, let's do our housekeeping. If you want to support everything we're doing here at Awaken Catholic, consider joining the Awaken Nation. Being part of the nation, you'll have access to bonus content, and you can even choose to support one of us show hosts. So when you join the nation, you could select Physically Spiritual, and part of your donation will go to the host that you appreciate the most. So go to awakencatholic.org forward slash donate to become part of the nation. Also consider joining the Awaken app. The Awaken app is the best way to experience all the content we produce here at Awaken Nation. So look up the Awaken app in the iTunes store, whatever they call it, or the Google Play store, or you can go to the awakenapp.io to get access to the app from a web browser. And the Awaken app, uh, all of the content we produce here is posted. There's also a social media function. So if you're looking for a, a more healthy and uplifting version of social media, the app will give that to you too. There's discussion boards for all the shows. And if you're a member of the nation, it'll give you access to all of the premium content. We are also partners with the Hollow app. Hollow is a Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. If you want some help learning to meditate, learning to pray, uh, sleep stories, go to hollow.app forward slash awaken to join with our member link and help support everything we're doing here at Awaken Catholic. And finally, if you want to get access to any of my writings, uh, the, the show notes for the shows, or you want to join my coaching practice or spiritual direction, uh, you can go to becominggift.com. All right, so this episode of Physically Spiritual, we are looking at the Sacrament of Confirmation. Our sacrament spoke of our three-legged stool. We're going through the seven sacraments of the Church. So our second sacrament we're looking at is the Sacrament of Confirmation. So as I get started, I want to go back to our sacraments chart. You'll note in the very middle of the chart are the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. So in this sacrament of confirmation, you might think of it as like the forgotten sacrament. A lot of people, although it's important in some children's life, it sort of happens to us and, and then it's gone and we wonder, why the heck did I do that? <laughs> um, I don't think a lot of people look back at their confirmation as a turning point in their life. Um, but when you read the catechism, it really could be. The good news is, is the sacrament of confirmation is one of the sacraments that leaves a seal. We only receive it once, and it gives us a new character or a new channel of grace in our life that we can access. So even though uh, you might not have felt like your confirmation did much, the grace of that confirmation is still present to you now. 
So in this episode, we're going to explore what that grace is and how to live it, how to dig into that deep well of the seal that was put on your soul in your confirmation. So a little bit from my life, my initial conversion uh, to the faith, my personal conversion to the faith happened during my preparation for the sacrament of confirmation. So I was born into a Catholic family, but I shed the faith of my parents um, when I was in junior high, became agnostic, um, started doing a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have done. I think it's in one of the first few episodes of um, Physically Spiritual. Um, so as part of that, um, we had this, uh, this nun who taught our eighth grade religion class. And for our preparation, she would make us go over to church and sit in Eucharistic adoration and um, just be quiet with Jesus. And it was in these quiet times that I had my initial conversion, which I really see as my first actual accepting and living of my baptismal grace, right? That baptismal character that was given to me in infancy. Um, I, I finally lived into that by God's grace coming to believe um, in our Lord, in the church, in the teachings of the church, and the scripture. But even though my conversion happened in the context of my confirmation, um, that grace of confirmation that was given to me when I received that sacrament later that year, I don't think I ever really took advantage of it for years. <laughs> now, I can't like go back and, and say my life wouldn't have been different at all if I hadn't been confirmed, but pretty much through high school, um, I wasn't living my confirmation. I was beginning to live my baptism, but not taking it to the next level. So now let's go through the three layers, these three stages of the sacrament. Remind you, the first one is called the sacramentum tantum, or, or the, the sign in itself, right? What are the physical things that happen, the surface-level stuff that's happening in the sacrament that points to the deeper realities of what God's doing? So first, a little bit about what, how we think the history of the sacrament of confirmation came about. Each one of the sacraments we believe Christ instituted in, in his work in the church with the apostles, or through the work of the early church in the Acts of the Apostles. So we believe, in a sense, that the, the, uh, the apostles were sort of confirmed on the day of Pentecost, when they received the Holy Spirit and went out and did the work of Christ. But in the early church, some scholars think that the sacraments of baptism and confirmation were always connected, and that even today, there is a chrismation, or an anointing with chrism oil, that happens at the end of an infant's baptism, um, so, so this connection between baptism and confirmation is very important. In Eastern rites of the Catholic Church, a lot of the time, children even still receive baptism, confirmation, and their first communion all at the same time, even when they're a little baby, even when they're an infant. Um, but in the Western part of the Church, sometimes called Roman Catholicism, as the Church grew more and more, although there were, were priests or presbyters out in the local communities, the right to, to confirm, to chrismate, and pray over the person for the coming of the Holy Spirit was on some level reserved for the bishop still. So over the course of the year, um, you know, you would have baptisms as people are converting to the church, and then the bishop would go around and literally confirm the baptism, meaning pray over the person, anoint the person, and confirm the fact that they had received the Holy Spirit. So we think this is sort of the root of this idea of confirmation, that in a lot of its earliest expressions, it was joined with baptism, and then it was sort of a practical reality that they were then separated as the church grew, and the bishop couldn't do all the baptisms. Where in, in the Eastern churches, um, 
what started from the beginning where the, the priests were delegated the ability to do the confirmation right away. Just a little bit of history. Maybe you've seen it done both ways. Maybe you had no clue that sometimes babies get confirmed, but they do. So what we need for a confirmation is a baptized person who hasn't been confirmed yet and who either wants to be confirmed or their parents want them to be confirmed. The minister of the sacrament is ordinarily the bishop. Right? The bishop is, is the, the, sort of the, the completion of, of holy orders. The full expression of holy orders is the bishop who's the successor of the apostles who first received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So, uh, but that, the, the bishop can delegate the ability to confirm to a priest. That's ordinary in, in Eastern forms of uh, uh, Catholicism. But then in every parish, it's delegated to the pastor at the Easter vigil. Right? Everyone joining the church uh, who's an adult being baptized is typically brought in at the Easter vigil, and then they're confirmed at that same Mass. Right? A bishop might have 100 churches that he's in charge of, so he can't be 100 places at once. <laughs> so the priests typically confirm at the Easter vigil. And then even other times when there's, there's too many places for the bishop to be or too many people for the bishop to confirm, he can delegate it to his priests to do the confirmation. Now, the, the physical sign that's used in confirmation is the chrism oil. The holy chrism, it's, it's a, an olive oil that's blessed, and then in that is added a, a scent, a balsam. So it, it smells kind of a bit like potpourri. Um, next time you're at a, a baby's baptism or at somebody's confirmation, take a smell. Uh, don't be creepy. Ask permission. But you'll notice that smell of the balsam, the fragranced oil. And then finally, what happens in the rite is the person approaches the bishop, the bishop places his hand on their head and says, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as he does that, he has the chrism oil on his thumb and he traces the sign of the cross on the person's forehead and says, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the person's response is, amen, literally meaning, let it be done, or I believe this, I want this to happen, right? They're acknowledging and participating, receiving what's being offered. And then the bishop says, peace be with you. And then the response is, and with your spirit, right? Because the person has now uh, received the spirit of God and now has this ordering, hopefully a, a deeper ordering of their whole person. Uh, so in that, they should experience a new peace in the Lord. So this is the first layer of the sacrament, the first stage of the sacrament, the sacramentum tantum, or the sign alone, what's happening on the surface. But this points to what's happening deeper. So the next layer of the sacrament is the res at, at sacramentum, meaning the sign with the reality. What's God doing in the sacrament that regardless of how well it's received in the moment, it definitely happens? Right, Because whether or not we participate in the sacrament well, whether or not the minister of the sacrament is a holy priest or bishop, or maybe a priest or bishop who struggles with sin a lot, right? the sacrament still works. God works in the sacrament. There, there are definite ways of God giving his grace to us. So here's what the Catechism says in paragraph 1285. It says, Baptism, the Eucharist, and the sacrament of confirmation together constitute the sacraments of Christian initiation whose unity must be safeguarded, right? So when some, an adult is baptized, they actually always receive their confirmation in First Communion at the same time. We only separate them with children so that the sacraments correspond with their, uh, their emotional and, and rational development, right? So typically, the, a child will receive their, their First Communion once they reach the age of reason, 
meaning that they can know the difference between right and wrong, and they can freely choose and then come to know uh, universal and abstract concepts. And then confirmation is given to the, the child at the point of possible maturity, kind of corresponding almost with puberty. In some dioceses, it happens younger. In others, it happens older, depending on the emphasis the bishop wants to have. Um, so it says, whose unity must be safeguarded. It says, it must be explained to the faithful that the reception of the sacrament of confirmation is necessary for the completion of baptismal grace. So it's necessary to be confirmed to complete the grace of baptism. For by the sacrament of confirmation, the baptized are more perfectly bound to the church and are enriched with the special strength of the Holy Spirit. Hence, they are a true witness of Christ, more strictly obliged to spread and defend the faith by word and deed. Right? So it's necessary to be confirmed to complete baptismal grace. Meaning in the current form of, of the rites of the church in those sacraments of initiation, um, what's happening in the baptism and the confirmation and receiving communion are sort of a singular act of, of ritual divinization, of ritually becoming like God in the world, of receiving God's life to be able to then share it with others. So the, uh, for a, a parent to have their child baptized, they're taking on the, the obligation to raise and educate that child in the faith. And they express that primarily through a willingness to take them to their first communion and then to their confirmation. Right? A, a parent may not present their child for baptism if they're willfully intending to not have them confirmed and baptized. I, I don't know if that's always explained to people, but that's, the, that's kind of the bottom line is that they have to intend to complete the confirmation, right? And so this paragraph also then hints at the effect of confirmation, being more perfectly bound to the church, being more perfectly in the image of God, more perfectly receiving the Holy Spirit, and also then given the ability to defend the faith. Uh, so the, later in the Catechism, paragraph 1295, it says, by this anointing, the confirmand, the person being confirmed, receives the mark and the seal of the Holy Spirit. A seal is a symbol of a person, a sign of personal authority or ownership of an object. Hence, soldiers were marked with their leader's seal and slaves with their masters. A seal authenticates a juridical act or document and occasionally makes it secret. So this seal this uh, sign that we receive, the, the character that we receive in these sacraments of baptism and confirmation, mark us as gods. And this is important. Gods is in possessive, like God owns us. So we're giving ourselves to the Lord, and it's a juridical act. And this is important because um, the evil spirits, the devil and demons, are juridical. <laughs> uh, if, if we give them a claim of our life, they will take it. By sinning, by participating in evil, we're giving a juridical right for evil spirits to be involved in our life. <laughs> by bringing our lives to the sacraments, our baptism and confirmation, and then confession and the Most Holy Eucharist, we're revoking that juridical right of the kingdom of evil, and we're giving the right over our body, mind, and soul to God. Right? We're, we're entering into a relationship with God that's permanent and stable, and maintains as long as we don't give that juridical right back, meaning as long as we don't fall back into sin. <laughs> but of course, God is very merciful, so that's why we have the sacrament of reconciliation. 
So paragraph 1304 explains this point further. Like baptism, which it completes, confirmation is given only once, for it too imprints on the soul an indelible mark, the character, which is the sign that Jesus Christ has marked a Christian with the seal of his spirit by clothing him with power from on high so that he may be his witness. So this seal particularly opens a channel of grace to enable us to work God's work in the world, right? To, to witness to our faith, to defend the faith, to do God's work amongst the people. And then the next paragraph, 1305, says that the character perfects the common priesthood of the faithful received in baptism, and the com- confirmed person receives the power to profess faith in Christ publicly and, as it were, officially. So we become an official representative of Christ to the world. And it, we, we, we live in a culture that's increasingly secular and increasingly less and less Christian. So we need this grace to profess our faith, to live our faith, to witness to our faith. It's essential for us to be Christ's worker in the world. All right, so, so these effects of confirmation are summed up in paragraph 1303 of the Catechism. It says, from this fact, confirmation brings an increase and deepening of baptismal grace. It roots us more deeply in our divine filiation, right? our divine sonship or daughterhood. It unites us more firmly with Christ, being in communion with our Lord, both a personal relationship with our Lord and also a communion and intimacy with God. It increases the gifts of the Holy Spirit within us, right? these, these things the Holy Spirit gives us to live our faith. It renders our body, our bond with the church more perfect, right? Completes our initiation into the church, this communion and relationship with everyone. And then it gives us a special strength of the Holy Spirit to spread and defend the faith by word and action as true witnesses of Christ, to confess the name of Christ boldly, and never to be ashamed of the cross, right? These are the definite effects of confirmation, so I want to make a d- distinction here, this resit sacramentum, the sign and reality that come with the sacrament, it's, it's a promise of all these graces, but all these graces can be realized more and more deeply, and that's the res tantum, the living out of the sacrament, meaning how much does the sacramental grace that's definitely coming to us by God's uh, promise translate into actual grace for us to have a different life? Right? So when I was confirmed in eighth grade, all of this happened. This seal happened. This more perfect communion with the church happened. Now, I probably did some pretty good sinning pretty quick after that, so I forfeited some of those graces before I utilized them. Then on the other hand, I also never dug into that well of grace offered in that seal, that, that, uh, that character that was given to me in the, in the confirmation. So then it wasn't until much later when I was in college I had had a deeper conversion at the end of high school where I just, uh, realized that I had let Jesus be my Savior, meaning like, save me, help me to do well on this test, help this girl to say yes when I asked her out to a, a, a dance or something like that. Right? I wanted Christ to jump in to make my life better, but I hadn't made Christ my Lord, meaning I wasn't giving my day-to-day life to him. I wasn't making my decisions based on what he wanted and not what I wanted. So I'd made a decision to make Christ my Lord, and then I went into college and encountered a group of people who acted as if the Holy Spirit was a real person that you could relate to, that you could have a relationship with. And by entering into that community, I had a deepening uh, experience of the Holy Spirit in my life. And by receiving that grace, I, I believe was truly able for the first time to live my confirmation, 
to receive that grace. So this is the res tantum, the actual living of confirmation. So the, the, the reality that God is giving us to change our life. So paragraph 1294 of the Catechism says, By confirmations, Christians, that is, those who are anointed, share more completely in the mission of Jesus Christ and the fullness of the Holy Spirit with which he is filled, so that their lives may give off the aroma of Christ. Remember the sign is this uh, chrism oil with balsam. It has a scent in it. So what's that sign teaching us is that we're receiving the aroma of Christ, the smell of Christ. So our lives are meant to be an experience of Christ's life. So when people encounter us, there should be sort of an automatic experience of Christ through who we are, how we live, what we're like. And the thing about an aroma is you can't choose not to smell if you smell, <laughs> right? You might stick another aroma on top of it to hide it, or you might do something to like wash it away so you don't smell anymore. But if you got the stink, you're going to stink. I can't like, I wish I didn't smell and then try really hard and make the smell go away. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So if I'm giving off the aroma of Christ, it's something in a sense passive that I'm doing everywhere. I'm a sign of contradiction to the world of who God is and, and of calling people to conversion. Right? This is one of the gifts we're called to in this sacrament. Paragraph 1302 of the Catechism uh, goes deeper. It says, It is evident from its celebration that the effect of the sacrament of confirmation is the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit as once granted to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. The grace of confirmation—this is me now—the grace of confirmation is the same grace that the apostles received on the day of Pentecost. So the, the apostles had already sort of been baptized in their faith in Christ and had also been ordained. They'd been at the Last Supper. They had, uh, under Christ's command, went out and prayed to heal people and cast out demons. But after Christ was gone, they hid in fear. They waited for the coming of this power that Christ was going to give them. Throughout the Old Testament, this is a beautiful idea from the Alpha Course, God had given the Holy Spirit to particular people at particular times for particular purposes. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, you're going to encounter these people who were uh, for special purposes for the building up of God's people, whether it was building the temple or prophecy, leadership. Um, discernment, there's these different people throughout the Old Testament who receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit to do God's work. What God gave to particular people at particular times for particular reasons in the Old Testament, he now gives to everyone. And that's what it is to do God's work, to be a part of the church. To now, at all times, in all places, to do God's work, to have this aroma of Christ. So that, that shift from before Pentecost to after Pentecost, the apostles um, in their work started to do what Christ did. <laughs> so if you read the rest of the Acts of the Apostles, really the whole rest of the Acts of the Apostles is are the apostles doing the works that Christ did while he was walking the earth. Christ rose people from the dead. Well, in the Acts, St. Peter literally prays over someone and they're raised from the dead. Uh, Christ healed people. In the Acts of the Apostles, the apostles heal people. I think in one of the stories, actually, St. Peter's shadow heals someone. So, so the apostles go out into the world in this like extreme way, in power, 
and, and, and they, they speak God's word and thousands of people convert, right? They're, they're preaching with the authority that Christ had. And this is the grace that we receive in our confirmation. <laughs> I want to pause a second and just ask the question, is that our reality, right? The res tantum, is this the reality that we're living in our life? Is this the grace of our confirmation? If you've been confirmed, that grace is there. And the only thing between you and it is both your willingness to put yourself out there boldly and try, and then your own sin, right? Because if you're not humble, it might not be in your best interest to go out and do great things. Um, so God's not going to send you out to do great work in the world just to uh, lose your soul uh, as you think that your, um, you know, your pride's going to fill you up. Um, so the only thing between us and doing what the apostles did is our willingness to, to try in our personal sin. Uh, this is from uh, Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene in his book, Divine Intimacy, a great meditation book. Um, he says, Baptism is our Christian birth. Confirmation brings us to Christian maturity. It endows the corresponding strength and confers on us the right to receive, at the opportune moment, the actual graces necessary to remain faithful to God in spite of the difficulties and obstacles we may encounter. So confirmation gives us the actual grace in every moment to be faithful to God regardless of the difficulty. Right? So one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is courage, specifically a supernatural infusion of the ability to do difficult things in spite of our fear, in spite of our, our desire, our perception of how hard things might be. So it's this gift. But notice what he says in here. At the opportune moment, we're given the right to receive that grace. Meaning that that grace is assured, right? We have a right to that grace. God will give it to us. But in the moment, meaning I'm not just going to be sitting here passively um, and receive the grace to like go out and heal someone. I'm not going to have that assurance ahead of time. I need to lay my hands on that person in faith that God's going to do the work. Meaning I'm probably going to pray over a lot of people and they're not going to be healed. And maybe I'll look like a fool. <laughs> maybe... Uh, maybe, like I said, it's not in my best interest for a healing to be worked through me, or maybe it's not in the person's best interest for them to be healed. Or for whatever reason, it might be that not everyone is healed. But the grace is there when there's a correspondence between um, what's in our best interest, what's in the person's best interest, especially as a sign of the gospel, a sign of God working in the world for the building up of faith. So if you're confirmed... By God's grace, you can heal people. God can heal people through you. If you're confirmed uh, by your prayer, demons can be cast out. If you're confirmed, you have the grace to bring, by God's grace, bring people to conversion by the preaching of, your, of the gospel. Your experience, you're sharing your experience of God. These are the graces of confirmation. But they're not there unless you go out and do it, unless you put yourself out there. Uh, and at that moment, uh, it'll happen. The grace of confirmation does not manifest itself in a vacuum. It manif manifests itself in the willingness to do God's work in the world. Grace comes alongside your will to empower you to be like God. 
and also inspires you to make the choice in the first place. All right, so that is the res tantum of the sacrament. So one thing that comes up from time to time, are the, an idea called charisms. St. Paul has a great teaching about charism in a few of his letters. Basically, a charism is a gift that's given to somebody, not for themselves, but for the building up of the people. So uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives me in order for me to become the person God is calling me to be. The charisms of the Holy Spirit are gifts given to me for the building up of the church, for the sake of other people. So here's what St. Paul says about charisms, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different forms of service, but the same Lord. There are different workings, but the same God who produces all of them and everyone. To each individual, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for some benefit. Right? There's both gifts for my benefit and then also charisms for service. To one is given... Through the Spirit, the expression of wisdom. To another, the expression of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, mighty deeds. To another, prophecy. To another, discernment of spirits. To another, varieties of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit produces all of these distributing them individually to each person as he wishes. Right, so what charisms will God manifest through you? God will manifest charisms through every one of his followers, but those gifts are according to the needs of the church, and also uh, the dictum comes in, once again, that, that grace perfects nature. Meaning a lot of times what we're naturally disposed to, what we naturally have a gift to, God will also then build on that for supernaturally for the purpose of building up of the kingdom. Uh, so God gives us these charisms for the building up of the kingdom. They're not superpowers. So the point isn't that now I have this ability and I can go like make money healing people or something like that. No, it's not about me at all. It can't be monetized. It can't be uh, something that we take advantage of. It's something we're called to do for the building up of others. It needs to be selfless, and it needs to be in a spirit of humility. In another place, St. Paul, Romans chapter 12 says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us exercise them. If prophecy, in proportion to the faith. If ministry, in ministering. If one is a teacher, in teaching. If one exhorts, in exhortation. If one contributes, in generosity. If one is over others with diligence, meaning authority over others, if one does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Right? So some of these you might think, like, these aren't charisms. These aren't extraordinary gifts. Um, but I think they can be. Like, think of Mother Teresa, for example. Like, for her to go into, into the slums and, and maybe pick up somebody who has a, a, a disease that's communicable, <laughs> meaning, like, by me touching this person, I might catch the disease that they have, and there may or may not be a cure, right? For someone to be willing to do that, that's completely against our natural instincts, meaning I naturally have an instinct for survival. So I'm going to experience on a natural level a repulsion of that, and that's good because that's self-defense. Right? That should be there. I shouldn't try to suppress that. 
But but in spite of that, I might have a supernatural gift of courage to go and do that work of mercy, meaning God gives me the grace to do something completely contrary to my instincts. And by doing that, that becomes a sign to the world that God does exist. Right? By the end of her life, uh, Mother Teresa uh, had her call within her call when she was in her 40s and started the Missionaries of Charity. By the end of her life, there were thousands of missionaries of charity around the world. Thousands, right? That's a, pr- a massive, profound effect. We, couldn't, we can't probably fathom what the 20th century would have been like without her. You know, thousands of people doing these profound, supernatural acts of charity throughout the world, right? This is the power of our confirmation, <laughs> Right, to bring thousands in a deeper relationship with the Lord. Uh, so you might, uh, you might uh, be dealing right now with just the contrast. <laughs> Me talking about it, I'm dealing with the contrast right, of what's possible through our confirmation and what the reality of our life is like. Uh, so let's talk about some practicals. Number one, maybe you're not confirmed. Maybe you never thought about being confirmed or or thought you needed to be confirmed. Maybe you're not sure you were confirmed. Well, if you're not sure, uh, churches keep a record of what sacraments you receive at the church you were baptized. <laughs> so you can ask for your, ba- your sacramental records from the church you were baptized, figure out whether or not you're confirmed. If you haven't been confirmed yet, go do it. Uh, churches either have adult confirmation classes for those baptized Catholic, and then in some cases, if you're not baptized yet, you'll go through the RCIA process. Uh, to become Catholic and be confirmed as part of that pra- of, of, of uh, that process. So go and get this great sacrament of grace. Maybe you've already been confirmed and you haven't lived this baptismal grace. Right? One I would recommend just reading this section of the Catechism. It's one of the smallest sections in the Catechism. Uh, look to people that you know in your life who live their confirmation and enter into relationship with them, and then maybe accompany them. Maybe uh, you know some people who have the label charismatic Catholic. That word charismatic from that, that word charism, right? There are people who freely and openly express these gifts of the Holy Spirit on behalf of service of the church. Uh, so the charismatic renewal probably isn't for everyone, but if you know some people who, who live this style of faith, check it out. You know, just go learn from them. Spend some time with them. Maybe shadow them when they're going out and doing work and whatever ministry they're involved with. But learn how to what those charisms are in you, and then how to express them, and then have somebody uh, teach you how to use them. Also, consider what your natural gifts are. Likely, God's going to build on those natural gifts with supernatural grace. So whatever your natural gifts are, there's a good chance that God is asking you to use those for the building up of the church. But he's going to also then give you supernatural grace beyond those gifts to do that work. Right? Christ wants to build up his church. And then the final practical idea I would put forward is what are you putting in the way of using that grace? Maybe it's pride. You know, I think it's, a lot of times it's pride. Um, God knows if I go out and do marvelous works, heal people, cast out demons, raise the dead, etc., etc., I'm going to think I'm pretty darn great. <laughs> and I might mistaken the gift as my own. So God's not going to work these works through me if it means that I'm going to lose, lose my soul because of it, that I'm going to fall into the mortal sin of pride. Um, so we have to grow in humility to be, uh, to be able to be used by the Lord safely. We also have to grow in courage. 
right? Because putting your hands on someone and asking for God to heal them, uh, that's putting yourself out there. Um, you know, you have to have faith that God's going to work through you. And you also have to have confidence in the Lord, knowing that a lot of the time, for whatever reason, that prayer might not be answered. It might not be in God's will. It might not be the time yet. Maybe it's it's something that's called to happen later. Maybe there's a gift in the suffering for the person whom you would pray over, right? That that the Lord's teaching them something and building up their soul. And it's actually in the context of heaven in their best interest to go through whatever's naturally happening in their body. For whatever reason it might be, right? We can never be sure. There's going to be times that you try to express the charisms and it just doesn't happen. It's not a magic formula. Um, so so it, it takes uh, the willingness to be humiliated, um, but it comes back to needing to grow in humility. I hope you enjoyed this episode on living your confirmation. Uh, we'll continue on the sacrament or the series on the sacraments, but the next episode of Physically Spiritual, we're going to circle back around to uh, our, our ideas of mystical prayer and talk about the three ages or seven mansions of the spiritual life. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.